opportunity to share the Word of God with you. Uh, it's always a pleasure to come together to worship our Father, to sing songs that remind us of who He is, to sing songs that declare the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, but also to take the time to listen to His Word. And as you all know, we've been journeying in the book of Ephesians, of Philippians, I'm sorry, of Philippians, and um, today we are going to continue that, uh, that uh, journey together. Um, just before we, we enter into the passage of today, I just want to uh, make a recap quickly uh, for those of you who kind of were not with our assembly throughout the last four weeks that have passed. So we are in the book of Philippians, and we're going through this book, and we started by looking to uh, Paul's uh, joy in his ministry uh, in regard to the Philippians. And our brother, Les Muirhead, opened this session for us and sharing with us how, how there is joy in serving the Lord uh, uh, by um, evangelism, by planting churches, what's, uh, uh, what joy it is to be in the ministry uh, uh, for the people of God. And then we continue in having, looking to how it, it is to have a good perspective and how having a good perspective do in fact help us to have the good attitude. We were amazed to see how Paul in prison, through his suffering, still find joy. And we were reminded by our brother Dave Brereton that that joy was because he had a good perspective in life. And I think that some of that will come out uh, through the message that we're going to, uh, to go through today together. And then we continue to look into how we, we need to look less on ourselves and to look more on others and how we need to serve them uh, um, in, uh, in, uh, in, in Christ Jesus. Then we went into chapter 2, verse 18 to 30 with our brother Doug Virgent, who talked to us about the legate of faithful pioneers in the faith. It kind of helped us see that, also giving us the example of what was going on here in Quebec. How people that went in front of, ahead of them in preaching the gospel, how they were actually a ground for the new generation. It gave us the two the examples of faithful servants like Epaphrodus and Timothy. Last Sunday, our brother James continued the series with us, for us by warning us, warning us against legalism and the danger of prizing human glory. So it's in the scope of this, all this reality that my message today is going to continue, hoping that this is going to help us to grasp, to love, and to find joy in the book of Philippians. Let us read our, our passage, and for that I've called my dear sister Rosine to read the passage for us. The passage will be up there so you can follow along. I really love personally that as a people of God, we take the time to actually read the text and kind of grasp for ourselves what the text has to tell to us. Yes. Okay, we are going to read uh, from Philippians chapter 3. Oops. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, we start from uh, verse 7 up to chapter 4, verse 1. 
We read in the English Standard Version. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for life and breath that you grant us. Father, I want to thank you for the grace that we have today in our generation to have your word in front of us. Thank you for the ability to have this word recorded for us so that we can read it. We can ponder about it. Lord, we can meditate on it but also that we can learn to apply it in our life. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, for your word. Because through your word, you make us more like Christ. Through your word, you sanctify us, you help us to have 
your mindset. We praise your name for that. For your word, you transform our lives for the glory of your name. Father, once again this morning, we want together to look to that word. And I pray that as we do it together, that you will just help us. Help us to see you more. To grasp the excellence of who you are. To desire to apply your word, to live in a way that reflects more of your glory. We ask you that, Lord, take away any kind of distractions, anything that you can take our eyes and our heart now from your word. Be with us now as we look together to your word and help me even to share with my brothers things that I've seen and I see in your word. Thank you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So this morning, uh, if you have noticed very well, uh, on, the on the bulletin, it was said that the passage was going to be from verse 12 to, verse, uh, to chapter 4-1. I just felt that for us to understand that portion of verse 12, we need to go a little bit uh, farther. We need to go up a little bit in verse 7. So my, out my, my outline today for, the, for this message is that we need to have to build a mindset that is toward heaven, a heavenly mindset. And for that, I want to, I've divided my message into four, four parts. How to have a mindset which, on what is really important. To have a mindset on effort and disciplines. This is, is going to be from verse 12 to 16. To have a mindset of suffering and adversities. And finally, to have a mindset of the good models. So, as we come up to verse 12, as I said, we need to understand verse uh, 7 and uh, 11 before that. And what is what we have read? We just read it, and I'm going to read it again. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake... I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness on my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depend on faith that, in, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in the suffering becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attend the resurrection of the dead. And then he said, not that I have attained it, I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So as we look here into that passage, we see that Paul is talking about something new, something which has happened in his life that has changed his perspective, his way of seeing things. If we go back to the verse before that, we remember that Paul was looking to his experience before Christ. How being a Jew was important for him. How being a Pharisee was important for him. How he was zealous in the law. And how he was more advanced for many of his generation in Judaism. And how even persecuting those filthy Christians who were going astray from Judaism was a good thing as well. 
All these things. He had a bright future before him. A wonderful future. But one day, something happened and changed all that perspective. That which has changed that perspective, that values of thing, was Christ Jesus. And I think that it's important for us to linger a little bit about these verse 7 and 8 to understand the rest of the thing that we're going to talk about. If we look well, I've taken the liberty, in fact, to put some colors in the passage to help us with that. He says that, I counted all things uh, as loss for the sake of Christ, which is the past. I indeed, I continue even now to count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, which is the present. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of everything or all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is the future. His past, his present, and his future is marked by one thing, which is the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. It's important to understand that because as we read uh, in this passage, we may think, oh, poor Paul. He has lost those things that were important because of Christ, oh, poor him. But that's not the mindset in which Paul is looking into his life. The reality is that in Christ Jesus, he has found something of greater value than the thing that he was counting as importance. And we need to understand and grasp that. In fact, the word here, which is translated surpassing worth, is the word hyper-echo in Greek, which means hyper, we have no hyper, we have this hyper word in many things. Uh, so hyper, which means higher, and echo, have. So it's something which is beyond, is superior to something else. So knowing Christ is something greater in value, immeasurable value, than all the prestige Paul could have thought when he was a Jewish. And the word here to know is the word that we have many times heard, we hypnosis. But the knowing here is not the mind knowing. You know, I go to school, I go to college, I have uh, the, the um, 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 uh, theories that I presented to me, knowledge that I presented to me, and I have all my, this knowledge here in my head. But that's not, that's not exactly the kind of knowledge that Paul is talking about. The knowledge he's talking about is experiential knowledge. He has come to experience Christ personally, and he continues to experience Christ in his life, and all this is that which make him see as every, every time how Christ is very valuable and how Christ is important. In fact, this reality is even given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He said in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covers up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the fields. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he has and bought it. The point I want to make is that Christ Jesus is of greater value. And once we really we have learned and we see to 
find this value that he is, we will learn to appreciate him more than anything else. So what is important for Paul? Now what is important for him is to gain the justice that, gives, that God gives through Jesus Christ. Not the, the one that he will accomplish or attain by, by, by his own religious doing in Judaism. What is important for him? To suffer for Christ. And to be identified in the shame of Christ. Because, yes, Christ is a shame for Jewish. He is a shame for the world. Even today. Christ is still a shame. You go out, you say, I'm a Christian, and you're serious about that, people will laugh about you. So, Paul sees that as a treasure. He sees also as a value the hope of waiting for the appearance of the kingdom of God. So these are the things that now are important for him. It's interesting because also talking about the shame of Christ and the disprisal of the things that we will gain on the world, we found that Moses had the same mindset. In fact, Hebrews 11, verse 25 and 26 tell us exactly this. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than wealth, than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking at the reward. The reality of seeing the value, how, how valuable Christ is, but there is also the reality of looking to the price of the call of God. There is a price that God has given to each one of you if you are a Christian. There is a price ahead. The sum of your call is not just to be here, to live, making all your effort to try to please God. There is a price ahead, and we need to understand, have the mindset on that price. In Revelation verse 3, verse 21, Christ says, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as also I conquered and sat down with my father in his throne. This is just one of the many promises that Jesus gave in Revelation. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 and 14, Paul says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruit to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and believe in the truth. To this, he called you, through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter talks about that glory and he says that is to live in hope to an inheritance that is immeasurable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So we find that all this word cannot even express the reality of that price that God holds for those that he has called. So as Christians, as we live, we need to have our mindset on that price as well. Having the eyes fixed on this price 
always will help us to endure hardship, suffering, and even lose the loss of everything. We need also to have a mindset of discipline and efforts. In fact, interestingly, in that passage, uh, in many other passages in the Word of God, Paul would use many times the analogy of a race. The Christian life is compared to the race where people are running. Or sometimes he will even use the analogy of a soldier to express the necessity and the, the obligation, if I may say, to use that word, of, of discipline and, and uh, devoir, on dit en français, responsibilities. And most of the time, the runner are running to get to a point, to arrive at the destination. They have a goal. The line of arrival is their goal. They want to get there first. And that's exactly the same thing here also. He said, not that I have already obtained this, or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind me and, and strain forward to what is, lies ahead of me. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the overward call of God in Christ Jesus. The word press on here, idioko, which means to pursue with all haste after something, almost to chase after something. So earnestly desiring to overtake, to apprehend something. So we see that really Christ is the goal that Paul has. Christ is the one he's looking to where. Christ is who, the one he wants to reach in his life now. In fact, in Philippians he says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In 1 Corinthians, he says to the Corinthians, do you not know that in a race, all the runners aren't runs, but only one receive the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. To do it, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we have, we we, we want an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So, let's take this analogy of a runner. Athletes, all year long, let's say the Olympic Games, all year long they are training. Many would train, stop seeing friends because they need to train. They stop eating some kind of food because they need to train. The point is, they subject themselves to discipline, to hardship. They want to take their body under control so that they will surpass their own ability to be able to be ready for the contest. They don't start running when one week will come before the Olympics, all their lives, they are preparing themselves. They will intensify the trainings 
when the, uh, the, 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 les épreuves arrivent. But while that, they're still training. The point is, brother and sister, if you are a Christian, there is discipline that you need to bring into your life, that we need to bring into our lives. God did not bring us to Christ so that we will sit home, spend all of our days watching TV or playing video games. I'm one of them. I play video games, so I know what I'm talking about. That's not the goal. There is discipline. There is self-control. There is the work of denying ourselves some pleasure, some things that goes against the life to which God has called us. And we need to have peace of mind with that. We need to have our mind settled of that. Not find it a weird thing if as a Christian I do not go with some places or I stop watching some certain things because I know that this does not help, does not feed my life in Christ. Doesn't help me to keep my eyes on Jesus Christ. It can be work. It can be many things. Each one of, the, of us know what every day can be a hindrance for that discipline of keeping focus on Christ Jesus. And something is very, very important. We know that Paul talks a lot about how our works does not save us. It is true. Our works does not save us. And we need to understand that the discipline that we need to have in our own life, the seriousness that we need to take, again, the fight for sins, our own pleasure, and selfish gain, these things, we're not doing it so that we'll gain God's favor. Last Sunday, uh, James really insisted on that point that legalism doesn't mean that you don't have to have discipline. It just means that don't think that by because you're having this discipline, this is how you're going to gain God's favors. It's in, actually is the contrary. And Paul helped us to, to get that. In Ephesians 2, verse 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only do that now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because, normally the word here is for, but I'm, I'm saying it, because or since God, he's the one working in you, both the will and the doing for his good pleasure. God has already started to work in you, forgiving your sins, showing you grace, showing you that you have the freedom to come to him in prayer, in your struggle, these things, God is working in you so that you will even more come to him, run to him, even in Sisa. Or because God is, is faithful to me, because I've been good for me, I'm going to fight sins. I'm not going to let this thing run over me. Do you see here the things? God is already working. God is already doing something. And that then is the impulsion for us to go ahead and, and, and continue to serve him. What's very interesting in a race, I'm continuing with that image here, is in a race is that most of the athletes have a goal to be the first. Okay? They want to surpass everybody else. They have to be the first. They have to be the best. But not in the Christian life. 
This is not a race for competition. This is a race in community. In fact, Paul says that. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. I love the French rendering of that. It says, Seulement, au point où nous sommes parvenus, continuons à marcher ensemble dans la même direction. The running here is in community. I'm not competing against my other brother. No, we have a goal. Our goal is Christ. And together as a community, we work on that. It's a run in community where the runner help each other, encourage each other, so that they will all together reach the goal and all receive the prize. Interestingly, uh, a couple of months ago, we had the Tour de Lille. I know many of you may have uh, heard that or may even participate. We did. We had uh, a picture there. Um, if you look to that picture, you'll see that in that Tour de Lille, we had children, parents, everybody. The interesting things about that Tour de Lille is that people were not competing to each other. We're all together, children, everybody together. The joy of being part of that race, the joy of being able together to arrive, to do the tour, and to arrive to the destination. That's the mindset that we need to have. And that's what Paul is trying to instill into us. We are not competing to each other. That's why he insists to look to the interests of others more than ourselves. There is also the necessity for us to have a mindset on suffering and adversities. We are in Quebec. And as far as I know, we are here this morning with the freedom of worshiping God, with the freedom of singing song. In many parts of the world, it's not the same thing. Some of our brothers are at, at the moment that we're speaking now, right here, being persecuted, being killed because of Christ Jesus, because of the gospel. In fact, Paul, when he's writing this letter, is actually himself in prison because of the gospel. We might look to that and say, but what does that have to, to have to do with me? I'm not in prison. I'm free. Persecution doesn't seem to be the reality. I'm not physically in danger. That's true. But there is also sicknesses. Some of us have seen the ability being diminished. What does that have to do with the race? It does, in fact, have to do with the race. God is the one who allows us to go through the physical suffering of being persecuted. God is also the one who can bring sufferings, sickness into our lives. Seeing our body being decrypted, uh, cripples, 
the question is, how am I going to endure? Am I going to hold firm to God as I see my body physically being losing its capacity? Am I going to trust in God? Am I going to finish the race? Because the point of this is how would I continue to hold firm into the Lord in the midst of all this affliction to which I am submitted? I love the way that Psalm 119 renders that thought. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your status. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. The point is, brothers and sisters, as we continue to hold fast to the Lord, these sufferings are producing something into our life. They are producing the character that God wants. They are helping us, in fact, to have the heavenly mindset, to remember that we are pilgrim, that this world is not our final home, that there is something better to come. Interestingly, we could have feel that so closely during this first year of pandemic. You know, we're all cluttering our home. Many of us started again to take the habit of prayer and reading the word. Our minds were turned to God. So one of the things that sufferings do is to help us to have this heavenly mindset. They work for our sanctification as well. Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mindset. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so that you can live the rest of his life for Christ for God and no longer for the flesh and human patience. It helps us and build in us characters of Christ. It helps us to rely on God. And Paul gives us even that in 2 Corinthians. Say, For we do not want you to know, to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we have experienced in Asia. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despair of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on our own selves, but on God who raised the dead. So brother and sister, if today you are in pain of suffering, facing cancer or anything, and you don't see God bringing you the healing, remember that you are not alone. The Lord is working in you, for you. And all these things serves to really creating you the character of Christ. Don't give up. Cling on him. Persevere. The race is not over yet. Finally, Paul calls us to have a mindset on good models. It's important to imitate those who are example of faithfulness, of faithful service, selfless giving, those whose life is conformed to the message 
of the cross, who are cruciform. Remember that word? Yeah. Brothers and sisters, join me imit imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walks as enemies of the cross of Christ. The hand is destruction, the God is the belly, and the glory in the shame, in their shame, with mindset of earthly things. Here in verse 19, we have the wrong example that we do not need to follow. These people are characterized as enemies of the cross. In verse 2, Paul talks to some group of people and he calls them, beware, be careful of the dogs, evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. It could be referring to these people. It could be even referring to those that were, were preaching the gospel with the intent to actually bringing him in more trials. But it could also be speaking here to people who profess Christ, but whose life is totally in contrary to the message of the gospel. They think about themselves. Their mind is on earthly thing. They don't have the heavenly mindset. They look to their own interests, not to the one of Christ and his kingdom. These are the people that God and, and Paul encouraging us not to follow and look after. It presents us the good models. Those who strive to work in that same mindset, having Christ in view, having Christ before them. We've seen some of these examples, we've seen them in Timothy and Epaphroditus. If you remember how our brother uh, Doug, Doug Virgin, helped us to, to, by presenting us this example. So Paul himself is one of the examples. Remember he said that, imitate me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul himself, he's taking himself as an example. Interestingly, if we look to the word of uh, the life of uh, Paul regarding to that goal, he says that he's not perfect. He hasn't reached perfection. So that's make me, make me understand that to be a model, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have reached, you know, dead. Who do, we, do you have as a model in your Christian life? Who do you take as model? We are here in RBC. We have many brothers who have come and gone before us. Who do we take as example among us? We don't need to be perfect. The only thing that is required is to have a mindset on Christ Jesus, to walk in that direction, to walk with the desire of honoring and glorifying him. I will make mistakes. I'm not perfect, but that's my goal. These are the people that we are called to imitate and to go after. In your journey, God might bring you many people uh, in your life that will encourage you in one aspect of your life. These are the models. 
How does a brother going through suffering hang on to the Lord? This is your model. So we have practical model that we can follow today. I love what also what John Piper says that, that take a dead model. Somebody from the past who has gone and been faithful, study his life, look to his teaching his life and follow him. We can do that, but also we can look among ourselves, those that are actually living amongst us. How's he is my brother's giving giving himself to serve the younger the younger generation? That's my model. I can take. Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice this thing and the God of peace will be with you. It's interesting that we can contrast Paul's life here at the moment where he's writing this letter and the, t and the moment that he will write later on to Timothy. Right here, Paul is in prison. He knows that he's going to get out. How do we know it? Because he tells us, he tells us so in chapter 2. He said that, I don't know whether if for me it's to be with the Lord is the best thing, but I don't know if it's better for me to go or to stay. But I have this assurance in the Lord that I will stay and continue with you all. He's still in the race. He doesn't see him as a finishing the race. But in Timothy is getting at the end of his life. He's in prison. He knows that his sentence is given and he's going surely to die. And this is what he says to Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have, who have loved his appearance. So my brothers and sisters, that's the encouragement I wanted to bring to us today as we look to that passage in Ephesians. We are in the race. For us to be able to endure, we need to have a mindset on the heavenly things. To understand that being a Christian is not to sleep there is discipline. And we have to accept to go this discipline, this denying sometimes of ourselves, of our selfish uh, uh, um, uh, desires for the sake of the gospel. There is a price that God has given ahead of us. Let that price be an encouragement to do what is good, to work and, and strive for righteousness. That's what I wanted to share with us, with each one of you. And I hope that as we continue to think about all these things, the Lord our God will continue to um, enlighten us and give us the desire to walk in the way that is pleasing to him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again for your word, for what Paul has written that you have wanted to have recorded for us in our generation. So that, Father, we will be encouraged by these things, looking to the price that you have set ahead of us, having the mind set on the possibility to suffer for, the, for your kingdom, to lose even, even everything, our own lives because of you, and to endure 
thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us to live it as we listen to it, as we ponder about it. Lord, put your word into our hearts. Let our heart desire.